is it going, NWSL fans? And welcome to this episode of NWSL Nation. It's been a minute since you've heard from us. Uh, so much so that we have a new name, but we have actual soccer afoot. Last you heard from us, we were wrapping up the 2019 season, and then a, a freaking pandemic happened and messed up the 2020 season and delayed our return. But we're back. This definitely is only the first time we've tried to do a recording of a return. We definitely didn't do one previously that got corrupted. Don't even worry about it. Anyway, I'm obviously not alone. I am here with our resident soccer savant, Mike McPhee. Mike, how are you? Hey, Steve. Doing well. How are you? I'm honestly, I'm all, I'm okay. I'm all right. This is a really interesting, going to be a really interesting episode. Because obviously, there's a lot of excitement behind the Challenge Cup tournament and the excitement that's going to be rooted to all of that. But outside of that, just about every other part of the world, it's it's been a it's been a depressing, it's been a stressful, it's been a frustrating time. Absolutely. Uh, so, I mean, how are you holding up, I suppose, would be a good question. I mean, you said it absolutely right. It's, it's been a very dark year, a lot, a lot of things going on, but I'm trying to, to take, take the moment to turn it into something positive for me, hoping, hoping to make yeah. something that maybe I can contribute as an individual, yeah. maybe do more in our communities, in our lives, yeah. No, I, I, uh, I think that's a, a great sentiment. I suppose would really dial into, I think the first thing we want to hit here, uh, you know, I, obviously a lot of our coverage now and through the next several weeks is going to be in lieu of the Challenge Cup because I think it's an exciting development. First main American pro sports league to make a return since this pandemic and, and it's going to be in a really exciting fashion. I've been very open about how I wish the WNBA would honestly adopt a similar format, but that's a different discussion for a different day. However, I, I just think, and I think a lot of people that are covering a lot of different mediums know that this is something we can't necessarily avoid. And I think it's important that not only we have this discussion, but obviously it's important that everyone is having this discussion right now. There's a, there's ways that connect to the sport and obviously ways that connect to MWSL as a league. But in general, I think it's just a, obviously an important topic. And I know you felt the exact same way. And, and that's to really dive into what has been a key focal point of of our of our nation with you know recent protests and and different levels of unrest that you would say some would say are stemming through the unjust murder of George Floyd but honestly are it's big, rooted it's bigger than that in yeah. decades and centuries of uh of unrest and cruelty and racism and you know, suffering in the black community that for anyone to say or that it's coming to light. I mean, this stuff has been to light for so long. Honestly, I'll say this, Mike, and I think you would agree with me, you know, as members of, you know, as, as, as two white male individuals, we need to have this discussion. It's such an understatement. It, it's, it's something that should have happened so long ago. And I think there's going to be a lot of ways that we can, you know, discuss the tie-ins that come into the league and different statements. But I, I think just talking about this broadly, there's, and it's going to be tough because there's no not having this conversation and not lasting at least 90 minutes. It know? would, you know, it's, it's, it would be irresponsible not to talk about it. in in my opinion, I mean, I, yeah. you, you know, I, I want to talk about soccer. That's what this podcast is about. 
but I think it would be irresponsible not to talk about what's happening because these things don't happen in a vacuum and it, it impacts everybody. Absolutely. If yeah. we can use this as an opportunity to force changes that have been long overdue, whether it's mm-hmm. addressing police brutality or any one of the countless elements of systemic racial injustice, we, we need to have those conversations. Absolutely. And I think something that, you know, and I, I shared the sentiment with you, it's something that I put online as well. Something that needs to immediately be washed from all mentality within the white community. And this is something that I've seen. I mean, I'm a white male living in northern Utah. There's a lot of people who look like me and are within my circle of privilege. And many people who want to try and claim that they understand or that they can define what the the Black experience is through all of this. I think the first thing we have to clearly admit beyond so many things is that we don't have a damn clue, even in the slightest. And that's where so much of this stems from is so much of what has been the momentum mark in our country in terms of political movement and leadership and innovation has been through decisions of white men. And because of that, these are people and these are leaders who have to assume and make the claim that they're doing it through the understanding of everyone that falls under the American umbrella when it's absolutely not true. It's a frustration point to me. And just to kind of illustrate this, a lot of what has driven my feelings on the status of racial inequality in our country throughout my life is because I grew up in Los Angeles. My best friend and and a lot of my friends were people of color. I lived in a very multicultural area. I was one of the few white people in my elementary school for a long time. My best, best friend, who I still communicate with to this day, is black. And his father grew up in South Central Los Angeles. And they were people who gave me a lot of perspective, a lot of discussion. You know, my friend Cam's dad, Eddie, was, first of all, phenomenally wise individual understood a little bit about what I experienced in life and that I grew up with. Uh, honestly, I didn't, I didn't live with my father full time a lot of my life, but for the full years I did, my father is not uh, an open-minded person. I would even say that he's a racist person and Eddie would catch wind of this. And he gave me very wise insight and discourse on the experience of young black people in, in Los Angeles and I mean, this is 97 through 2000, 2004. We're half a decade to only a little bit over a decade removed from Rodney King and from the LA riots of 92 and from the OJ Simpson trial and all of the, the racial uh, dialogue that, that ran through that. And goodness, is that not on top of probably a hundred other stories that rose at that time? And I can say that I have a lot of that perspective and still admit, I only understand a fraction of fraction of a fraction of the experience that the Black community has, because I, you and I kind of talked about this a little bit, and, and it, to some people this can sound dramatic, but I don't think it, it is. When we as members of the white community are frustrated with police, it's honestly just because it's, it's customer service. It's things we didn't, we did that we just hate being inconvenienced. It's getting a parking ticket. It's getting a speeding ticket. It's, right. you know, having an infraction that we can't get reversed 
it's <clears throat> driving under the influence. It's all these things that did happen and and our way of justifying the experience is we just didn't like their tone or something like that. But here's the difference. We always knew we were going to make it home. We always knew we were going to walk away and just be able to complain about it. And so many people in the black community, including dozens to hundreds of people who each of us may know and may not realize haven't had that convenience. They had to sit in fear and wonder, am I the next hashtag? Am I the next I stand behind? Am I the next justice for? Am I the next George Floyd? Am I the next, you know, am I the next person who's on this list? And it's what's frustrating me about the counter arguments because I think that perspective is what is so implicit to my goodness. We have so much resource in art in front of us to instill change. That's just refusing to be done. Right. There's, as we've seen from the protests and the reaction to the protests, the resources are there to address the problems, but they're being completely misapplied. And, you know, empathy doesn't even go far enough. We, we need to start by listening to these stories, start by hearing these underrepresented voices, but then we have to do something about it. It needs to be yeah. substantive. It almost, I've seen this on online, especially on Twitter, and, and I, the sentiment has resonated with me, which is like, you, you have to become forcibly uncomfortable. It, it almost, it's almost like this clockwork orange type of experience where I think the natural inclination, I think there's a lot of us in, in our community as, as white individuals, it's that idea of not being racist, but that's not enough. You need to be anti-racist. It's, it's that's easy exactly to it. yeah. not have these negative intentions, but your natural inclination with this bias that's been hardwired into you is just to kind of avoid it and not even realize you're avoiding it. That's so when I'm on Twitter, be, being able to avoid it, I mean, that's, that's its own position of privilege. I'm on Twitter and I'm seeing these videos, right? I'm seeing videos of a policeman putting his knee to the back of, of a black citizen's neck for nine minutes when I'm watching videos of black people being shot and killed on camera, being hunted down, uh, you know, from someone in a truck for someone that was just taking a jog in the streets. When I'm watching people get ransacked and pushed into the streets when I watch videos of white people and policemen inciting riots by smashing windows or by pepper spraying people for no good reason. This is stuff that's very natural for people of my ilk to kind of avoid. I know that it's disturbing and I know that it's frustrating, but I don't know if I can take watching it. And I have had to force myself to watch things I don't want to watch because it's the only thing I can do to get some idea of how implicitly screwed up it is. It's so difficult just to watch. Imagine living that every single day of your life, you know? Yeah, it's, it, for me, it's a disturbing video. For so many people, it's for so many Black people and people of color in America, it's, it's an inevitability. We call it the land of opportunity. We call it this free country, this free land. And we have so many people, millions and millions of people that are consistently living in fear. And even now when there are protests and there are millions of people fighting for their cause, it, it's almost as if their fear is currently increasing. And it tells you how much, how broken our government can be. Well, that even when they're getting more solidarity than they've seen in a long time, it's almost on an internal emotional level, it can almost make it worse. Not, not the protesting is making it worse, but 
the response that's coming out of it and the way that certain people are doubling down in their bigoted beliefs. Absolutely. And the thing I was going to mention is that while the protests and the, and the opposition to police brutality is, it's inspiring to see how, how widespread it's been, but this is just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, this isn't even talking about things like, you know, top to bottom discrimination in the whole justice system from the second you interact with, with the police through the courtroom, through, through the prison system. And this isn't talking about disparate resources for education, housing discrimination. I mean, just racism, just in your daily interactions. I mean, this is, it's such a multifaceted and just ever-present problem. Yeah, and it's, I know there's so much more that we can take in on it. And I know some people might hear this and think like, oh, this is not a political podcast. And it's, but, but you know what? This isn't a political issue. This is a human rights and a human decency issue. And it definitely has spilled into the world of women's soccer. We've seen a lot of statements. I thought Crystal Dunn's statement was beautifully put was together. It was, was poignant and was raw. It's It was one of the more impactful pieces that I've seen from a lot of different circles. She, yeah. she made a great point because I think it's important but not difficult to call out say, the murder of George Floyd, when you can see a clear video of a man being murdered by the police to say, yes, that's wrong. That's mm -hmm. not, or at least it shouldn't be, a controversial statement. What Crystal Dunn said was very interesting because she, she made us look at maybe some of the things we don't think about. How do we talk about Black athletes? How do, how do we think about them? What are our own biases? Not just beyond obvious, clear-as-day violence and murder you know what are what are some of the more subtle things that we just internalize and so yeah. i i loved what she had to say i love what players like lynn williams and crystal dunn and Adi french and simone charlie and Sierra king i mean i they made some just extremely personal heartfelt but meaningful statements and like i think it's good that we're having these conversations but I think yeah. those are the voices that need to be elevated the most right now. You and I have talked a little bit about this. I mean, we we hit an element of this with with Addie French just last year at road game in Sandy against against Royals FC, receiving racial epithets from the crowd, and I I don't know why this is choking me up. This is a, a lot of it because this is my community. You know, I live forty I live well, forty minutes from Sandy. And it was, I remember the shame that I felt. I wasn't there. I wasn't spilling these epithets, but I felt shameful because I wanted to believe that my community was above this. And this was the second time in a couple months yeah. that Northern Utah was stuck. This happened with Russell Westbrook at a Utah jazz game. And it's just like, why is this the natural inclination? It just, the whole thing never made sense to me. It's I mean, someone, Sid, Sid LaRue, um, Sidney, Sidney LaRue mm -hmm. had posted some of, some of the comments that she had received online when she had spoken out previously about the racism that she had had to put up with. And it was insane. I mean, and th this is, this is every day, you know, this isn't, we, we like to think that, and I like to think all the NWSL environments that I've been in have been just fantastic environments. And you like to think that, you know, there's, there's a community there. Right. And I think for the most part, it's, been an incredibly inclusive community. I mean, I, I 
feel extremely proud when like I go to Thorns matches and you've got 20,000 people chanting equal pay. Like that makes me feel really proud. But then when things like this happen, you realize like, oh, we're not immune from this. No, no community is immune from this. Exactly. And the root of all this is what's frustrating. It's really funny because I, I saw a tweet recently from, of all people, Whitney Cummings, a you know, comedian, um, but everyone deserves a voice in this time. And the point she made on Twitter was, stop saying protests are tearing America apart. America's been torn apart for a while, which is why there are protests. Exactly. And I think that that speaks a lot and heavily to me is to say, I'm ashamed to say that I'm a part of the Paramount community that's turned a blind, thinking that this, it's been advocating for this, but turning a blind eye to it. And I'm very grateful that so many people have been able to raise a voice. What I do have to encourage to anyone who cares about me as any sort of influential individual, and by the way, if you don't think I'm influential, it's because I'm not. I, <laughs> I, I'm a man with a microphone, right? And I will say, just for the love of goodness, like, don't let this be a trend. Don't let this be like the thing where you don't let this be the hashtag thing that we're talking about now that's just gonna, you know, keel off and we'll move on to the next thing when we get bored with it. Like, don't let it be that. This has to continue to be something that's on the back of our minds that we're willing to speak up. And it absolutely has to be something that is at the forefront of our minds in just a couple of months when we hit the election polls, because that, that right now is probably the strongest weapon we have is the ability to shift our country's leadership and try to turn this over. We have to find a way to make the best choices we can. And right now, it's hard to know what the best choices are, but we certainly know what the wrong choices are with our vote. And a lot of times it sounds weird to say that, like, I'm telling you how to vote, but for goodness sake, we know how or should we should vote. Well, um, and I think it's, I think it's bigger than that. I, I think this is a wake-up call that local policies and politics matter because, absolutely. I mean, the police issue, that's something that whether you live in a big city, small city, what, whatever your location, I mean, that could be something that your mayor has direct control over, police chiefs, I mean, your city councils. I mean, there are things with local leaders' control that can have substantial differences in things like policing and conduct and accountability. I mean, advocate Mm -hmm. for citizen review boards, you know, volunteer for things like this. There's so much happens at a grassroots level. We pay attention to upper levels of politics, but there's, that's where the action happens so much of the time in most communities uh police unions have a stranglehold over their local governments they can easily be the most powerful governing body in any city or county that you live in and those areas become dangerous john oliver actually has uh, a very strong video about this he did several years ago about sheriffs and about police brutality and police and, and how you know voting out a sheriff like getting a sheriff moved and unre- is incredibly difficult because of the support of these police unions and how these stop i like to call it on community unions there are many communities within the country and i'd also say other nations uh, the united kingdom is one of them put an emphasis on community support officers and how that has very much helped crime levels. There's been great examples we've seen in recent years of police organizations that were given complete reform. I want to say Flint, Michigan might be one of them. There are a few that had experiences where, I'm, and if I'm wrong on that, I apologize, but there are communities that went over full-on reform. New sheriffs came in, legitimately outed their current system, switched things over to community service model, 
policemen who had strong records that held strong values were maintained. Those who had history of hostile action, especially non-justified actions, were done. What that tells me, and by the way, these are areas that saw extreme drops in crime rate, strong support from the community, and you know, those areas. Those are also the areas right now that are seeing those peaceful protests that the media pundits seem to crave all of a sudden. By the way, didn't seem to crave it a couple of years ago when peaceful protests were happening all over the place in the world of athletics. But now that you're craving it, that's the places where that's happening. So stop this drivel that police reform is too difficult. It's too nuanced. It is extremely possible. Absolutely. And if you want to talk about resources, we've obviously seen the amount of resources that the police have in because of the equipment they've had to put down these these protests and in many many cases instigating the violence. The fact (laughs) that they can have military weapons targeting their own citizens who they're supposed to protect, but we don't have protection for doctors fighting the COVID-19. I mean, yeah. How, how many of these resources, rather than treating our citizens as military targets, could be used towards things like building up our communities, put them in education, put them in healthcare? Yeah. I mean, this would be are, so much more positive. There are doctors, you know, wearing garbage bags for, for, for preventative measures. There are teachers paying for their own school supplies. There are teachers that are paying their students Wi-Fi so that they can do virtual classes with all of their students out of pocket from an already low wage. And we have policemen who all of a sudden look straight straight out of stormship troopers, look like Power Rangers <laughs> in like, I think I told you like in like futuristic equipment that makes like the SpaceX astronauts blush, all, all in the name of looking Call of Duty badass. Like I look straight out of Halo, all in the name of quieting people speaking up for a moral issue. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so obviously there's a lot that we can hit on this. This is a conversation, you you know, listeners have probably heard a lot on Twitter and on other mediums. The fact of the matter is it isn't going to stop, but it shouldn't stop. And uh, if you're looking for a way to respond, obviously, if there are local demonstrations in your area, the strong encouragement is to go and be involved. Uh, you know, go and march, go and support, go and hand out water bottles, give high fives, hold signs, try to be a positive and peaceful influence where there can be. Be a shield to, to the black community if you can be. And we've seen proof of it that that being a shield in between uh, you know, them and police helps in a lot of ways, which obviously is disgusting in its own right, but it's there and it's real. If you're looking for other ways to support outside of protesting, I, I'd say the best resource in my head is blacklivesmatters.card.co hard with two R's, but Black Lives Matters with an S. It's a great database that outlines where you can sign petitions, maps of where protests are taking place, where you can text and call your local governments, places that you can donate to different sources, whether it's GoFundMes to victims or donations specifically to go out to protest efforts, places that you can donate with no money, which I really like. So different videos, databases, um, shopping sites, you know, like Amazon, where the AdSense money for those efforts go to individuals who have already dedicated those funds to go directly to efforts toward different civil civil rights organizations and Black supporter organizations. It also has database for Black-owned businesses that you can support, different organizations that you can become a part of. It's just a great place to immerse yourself in ways you can help. This is absolutely true, no matter the context by any structure. If if you're looking for a way to help, you absolutely can. There's no scenario where you can't put in some effort to help this cause. It, it exists 
full stop. You, it's important to be active and find it. I like that website, blacklivesmatters.card.co. I think there's going to be other resources as well. They're going to pop up. Stay active on social media um, and see where those efforts are. You know, before we move on from this, any any other thoughts you had on your end, Mike? No, I mean, like you said, it's it's something I'm I'm glad we're paying attention. I'm glad people are paying attention, but it's something that needs to be sustained. Well, Mike, first of all, thank you for your insight on that. I think it's a it's, it's a hard discussion to, to to find the right words at times, but at, you know, as small as voices we may feel, it's you know, I think it's a necessary thing. I, I think it's one of those chances that we have, and I mean, we, you know, we've we've had a good conversation, but I, I I think we need to keep listening. Absolutely, I keep talking is what I keep saying. I think keep listening is is probably more important. Ron, we're back. Bowler. Tom, we're back. Jeremy, suck it. By the way, I've been giving away free sports bras to the girls with a hot dog on a stick. We back? We're back. All right. We're going to go ahead and, and move forward. Obviously, we wanted to take plenty of time to, to talk soccer. Uh, we have the Challenge Cup uh, to kick off on June 27th. Uh, starting next week, uh, we'll have three preview episodes. We're going to be previewing uh, team by team. We'll have three teams per episode uh math is fun uh the original plan was you know when this was being built the assumption was there was going to be three group stages that's obviously not necessarily the case now so based off of the draw order that came out teams one through three will will be taken out in part one so the red stars the washington spirit houston dash will then go four through six so royals fc the courage in north carolina and of course sky blue fc and then we'll finishing off with the the six through nine or the seven through nine Portland Thorns FC, the OL Reign, which I have a lot to talk about with new, that whole rebrand experience. Newly newly named, yes. Newly named, newly owned, new digs, the whole thing. And then the Orlando Pride. We have a lot to cover on that. Also, on top of soccer and rosters and teams, a lot of these have, have a, a handful of these teams have new kits who've been released. So it's just a lot to delve into. Lots to be excited about. Soccer's yeah, coming back. There's a lot. But we wanted to, before that all went down, give give a quick primer of, of all of this, because obviously a lot has gone down since we've last had a chance to talk. You know, we closed things out right at the, you know, the, the cup final 2020, just just being a, just a jerk. It was a crazy off season, even before COVID-19 got started. And yeah, yeah, we forget that. We forget that uh, free agency and trades. I mean, the off season. The free agency offseason for the off NFL was, and then, was nuts. As much movement as we've possibly ever seen. Yeah, it was a it was a big offseason. I, I guess, you know, what we wanted to do is give a primer and kind of just a kickoff before we do those team-by-team breakdowns and just give an overall discussion of, of now that it's official, we have this going on. First of all, Mike, what is your just immediate reaction? I mean, this is obviously a unique format. We move from a traditional season format to this tournament style single location eight of the nine teams move into a knockout round as this unfolded and became official what were your immediate thoughts yeah so i mean obviously i i think i i think i was pretty anxious about any sports resuming in the middle of pandemic you know I, i was worried about the logistics what's this going to look like how are they going to protect players of course i want soccer to happen always at all times but, you know, there's a lot of trepidation there. However, I will say that the way they have gone about it, the arrangements they've made, they really seem to be putting a lot of emphasis on player health and safety. Um, I think I think you have to give major credit 
to the Players Association, who really advocated for important protections, including the fact that if any player is not comfortable competing in the mm-hmm. tournament, they absolutely still get paid. They get to keep their contract. There's there's no repercussions because yeah. <laughs> that would just be not not right to force a, a player to do something they're not comfortable with in the middle of a health crisis. Yeah, and then, and from what I understand, that was the huge, huge kicker in all of this was being able to guarantee contracts, also to lock in private travel, have the safety precautions and lodging in place. And and a lot of credit, honestly, in this, not only toward toward Lisa Baird and, and you know, talk about someone who's had a yeah, difficult first year in their seat as commissioner, but I think a, a lot of credit you have to give to, to Deloy Hansen, principal owner of Royals FC, who is a fitting the bill for quite a lot of this and B has just been a powerful voice in making this happen. Obviously living locally, I've heard him talk a lot about the Royals. Something, a sentiment he always gives is he wants to give the Royals the same treatment and the same attention and the same support that he would give RSL their MLS team. And he believes any NWSL team that has an, an MLS counterpart deserves that support. And this does back that sentiment up to a point, in my opinion. Uh, so I think a lot of credit goes into that. We probably are looking at more sponsorship support than we've possibly ever seen. Yeah, uh, that was very impressive. I think when I first started hearing rumors about a summer tournament, a lot of people were asking, well, I mean, financially, is that viable? Because, you know, we have no ticket re- revenue. How, how do you make it work? And again, I, I think I'll give a, a lot of credit to Lisa Baird, but they really seem to have brought in a lot of both long-term sponsors and they had signed the TV deal earlier with uh-huh. CBS and Twitch, Verizon coming in. I mean, there, there's there's a lot of sponsors for longer than this this year as well that I think even a time of, even during a time of crisis, I thought that was a really reassuring note. For certain. I, I would say it's something that was... Definitely exciting. I think there's going to be some good network support. Obviously, the the kickoff to this to the I believe the first match of of the whole program will be on CBS. The finals will be on CBS. Uh, there'll be some bounce off between CBS HQ and Twitch in intermittent games. There's a lot to to ingest there that I think is exciting. There's going to be a lot of eyes on that product. There's going to be nearly a full month where this possibly is the only American sports you can watch before you roll into potential MLS returns. Uh, the NBA is now looking to return until the very end of July. The WNBA just, there's a leak of a proposal that's potentially on the table for a 22-game season that would kick off July 24th. So you're looking at nearly this full tournament may run solo. It may be one of the only games in town. So that's exciting as well. I do want to to dive into the announcement and the promotion of this and the build of this to actually talk about the structure of the event itself. Cause I know you and I do have some hard opinions on certain elements of it. So obviously the, the way that this sets up is that every team will play four matches. Uh, there was a nine team draw that determined how those were scheduled. It was at random so that your placement as one through nine has nothing to do with, you know, everything was on random placement. And then that determined where the schedules are. There's been some questioning of that based on some of the early scheduling, uh, but are, are uh, you, are you suggesting that a Thorns courage match on opening day was not random? 
I'm not just suggesting it. I can almost guarantee you that's what happened. I, <laughs> why? Why wouldn't that happen? <laughs> um, yeah, it's, yeah. I, this isn't a draft lottery, but if you've listened to me in any basketball discussion, I am a firm, firm believer in the rigging of draft lotteries. It, I guarantee, happens every single year. Too many storylines are pushed for based on teams that end up getting top draft picks, and I think that there's a similar outlet here when it comes to this. Sometimes that just happens. I am not going to sit here and sound too much like a whack-dack conspiracy theorist, but here I am. That said, random draw. Each team will play four matches. That will then determine who, where things get ranked in the knockout round. The ninth seed will officially be knocked out and not play in the knockout round, so they'll be, they'll be out. Records will determine who is one through eight, and then from there, single elimination all the way until we find champion. Mike, as you go through this structure compared to other potential ideas that came in play, what are your thoughts? Uh, you know, what, first of all, are your big pros, and then what are some of your cons? I think it's where, where this is, you know, a shortened tournament rather than a full season. I think it's, it's nice that you get to play a broader array of teams rather than if you mm-hmm. say broke it up into, into groups, groups of three. That being said, it is a little bit weird that I, I know you have to have an eight team playoff, but is it is a little weird to just send that number nine team home. Yeah. I mean, that's and, and you and I've talked about this. There's such an easy solution that eight and nine seeds after the first round of play have a play in game. You add one match, where the eight and nine determine who's the final seed in the quarterfinal knockout round. I mean, it's hard because they're already playing a lot of matches, but it just feels so off to just send one team out of the nine. And I think it's it's really plausible to add one in, I think is extremely plausible. And it just gives you a little bit extra to say after that two weeks. I mean, just I'm thinking about being that nine seed. How do you walk out of that and feel like that was a fruitful experience? Whereas, and I get it that, right after that there's going to be four teams that only play one other match and then they're done but being a part of that tournament bracket i think it's a strong need and i just thought you already have everyone there you might as well find the room to schedule one extra match as a kickoff play-in and that just determines that 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 is one unfortunate quirk of being in a, a nine team league or you do it in a weird three round where and again this adds more games but the top this is why a group stage would have made sense because if you have three groups of three, the top two in each group automatically get in. And then you can have a three match wide where the bottom seeds get put kind of in a subgroup. They each play each other once and then best based on record and score differential gets in. You know, oh, interesting. Or yeah. Top, or, or at least I guess it doesn't just one of them gets in, but it determines who's out you know, the top two of that group then determines who who finishes off as the seven and eight seed. I think there were a lot of ways where you could add just a couple more matches and allow everyone a little more time to, to play and get themselves situated. And to me, that's why a group stage type of situation would have actually been a benefit to this. I get why there's certain cases where they didn't want to do it, but I think the preliminary schedules is a little bit more randomized and it would have been kind of fun you and I, when we originally were doing these three team reviews, the idea was it would have been fun to do it as every episode has a group stage to talk about. I also understand the difficulty in that is, well, then if you were doing four matches, you would just play two teams twice. My thought is, well, have each group is paired with one extra group 
and they'll play two teams from that group. And then there's just, there's a lot of ways to have made There's it a work. lot of options. I mean, I yeah. I'm not going to say that that I'm too irked. You know, I it's I think it's good that you play four different teams in the preliminary round. But I mean, yeah, this the structure is a little weird, but it is. It's true. Gosh, there's so many ways you could do it because you just say you'll play <laughs> each team in your group once. You'll play one game, you know, if you're in group A, then you'll have one against a team in group B and another against a team in group C. Like, there's just a lot of fun ways you can put it together that I think also just group stages are fun. The closer you can feel to having like a World Cup style experience is just fun for people. Yeah, and, yeah absolutely. We'll, you know, we'll put you in charge of organizing next year's tournament. My question is should this be successful? Where do you go with it? Do, is this just the only Challenge Cup and it's just this strange badge of honor that exists, exists, like we have that Challenge Cup? Do you find a way to incorporate this, kick off every season with a Challenge Cup, and then have a shorter regular season that rides into the playoffs? Does the Challenge Cup champion guarantee a spot in the playoffs and then regular season determines the rest? Like um, that's, a, that's a good question. I mean, obviously, 2020, we're just going to have to put an asterisk by get it. A, we we get the soccer that we get. Um, yeah, give the give the give the cup, give the Challenge Cup champions a three point nest egg to start the season. Oh, they start they start the season at three points. The rest of the league starts at zero. I don't, there's a, there's a lot of ways you could consider this to work, but well, and and beyond that, like if this were to be successful, I mean, what about? I mean, even when we resume having regular seasons in upcoming years, I mean. That might be an interesting thing to do, um, to continue doing, to have a tournament, or like even expand it beyond the NWSL. You know, play play teams from other countries, play you know clubs from other countries, have a club cup. I think there's a ton of potential there. I I, I know cup. I know right now we're we're in the middle of a lot of different crises, and yeah. you know we're not remotely planning logistically or financially for these kinds of things. I think that would be an incredible expansion for the game. Yeah, if you could find, especially if you could find maybe, let's say, four other leagues that could dive in or two other leagues that would send in two teams. You could do W League, you could do Super League. There's a lot of different ways you can hack it. But let's say if you're the four teams that make it to the playoff, that also means you'll be in the the Challenge Cup right at the kickoff of the NWSL season, and it'll incorporate those four teams plus four teams from overseas. Immediately, that sounds exciting to me. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think it adds a flair. And uh, the but the other thing is just oh, does this just become this fun mythical anomaly? I don't know, the Orlando Pride finished last place 3 years in a row, but they they did win the Challenge Cup. Like it's this <laughs> it's this thing no one gets no one else ever gets to say. Yeah, there is kind of a cool mystique to that too. I'm I'd be really interested to hear people's response to that is if the Challenge Cup is successful, do you like the idea of it being the standalone story, or would you love to see some version of it in future years? And if you do want to sound off on that, of course, you can find us on Twitter at NWSL Nation Pod. So give us some response there if you'd like. We'd, we'd love to hear any feedback on that end. Yeah, it's a, it's a really uh, intriguing idea. I think it's going to make for a fun feel. If you're the NWSL in general, like your other teams, how much stock do you put into the Challenge Cup champion? Like, it's interesting to me that, you know, we won't have a 2020 NWSL champion. We won't have a 2020 NWSL Shield winner. You know, like right. that won't exist. You, I assume you're not going to have, you know, a best 11 or, you know, like 
maybe it's maybe they'll do it based on the tournament i, I think they i think they could based on the tournament i mean certainly you know like a golden boot or a golden glove but one thing i'm wondering is does this have implications for like say next year's draft order or um that's a good point i don't know if that's that decision has been made but yeah i, I don't know how that's being treated the other thing is too is the potential where you know this was originally supposed to be an olympic year now it's been moved to next year do teams and players really go all in or do they try to glad you brought um, that up yeah do players opt out or manage their minutes more because you know the potential for injury or sickness i mean we have to consider that regular training has really been disrupted you know preseasons have been disrupted for as for how much professional athletes have to micromanage you know their training and schedules you know how how much the pandemic has thrown it all off how does that play out in the tournament where yeah. you're playing a lot of games in a short short amount of time i don't know something to consider yeah and i think this is where and this is something that you and i've talked about in the past is i think that's why this tournament specifically an important tactic for the league is they need to find a way to market their non-WNT players as strongly as they can because those are the players you're really going to have to rely on in 2021. You have a unique opportunity to get eyes on the league this year that might be on other things typically during a regular season. And if you have players that you can get them excited about right now, you know, when your WNT players are preparing for the Olympics next year, you have a nest of people fans still are going to be interested in. So I think to me, the natural inclination, I think, is to market your WNT players. I just think that that's what you naturally turn to because that's the, peop- the, the names people know. The, w- the USWNT is as recognizable of a roster as any in American sports right now. And so because of that, it's natural to market that. I think you almost have to have an opposing approach if you're the NWSL. Get some of those other players on the market. First of all, they're extremely marketable because the nest of talent that exists within the league is pretty deep. Uh, it goes beyond the 20 players or whatever that exists on the Olympic team. It just puts you in a good position to have something for people to still want to be engaged in when they won't have that same convenience. Oh, I totally agree. I mean, like, there's a reason that the players are on the national team. I mean, they're, they're legendary. They've worked their way and, you know, they've earned their spots there. But I don't know, soccer is such a fluid game that you rely on every single player and especially in times when national team players are, you know, in training camp or in international competitions, friendlies, the Olympics, World Cup years, you know, clubs are still having to play um, yep. if, they're, if they're in season. But you've got entire rosters of incredible players. I, I totally agree that I understand why they like to promote their biggest stars. But if it, and like, I, th- I take last year, as an example, the 2019 World Cup was, I mean, just phenomenal, truly mm-hmm. just incredible. And I, I, I think about players, standout players like, you know, Pino and Rose Lavelle and how amazing they are. But how much time did they spend? How, how long was Megan Rapino playing for the rain or Rose Lavelle? How many games did she play with the Washington Spirit? You know, it was these are some of the best players in the world that really shone on the world stage. But at the club level, they they weren't key to their team's success in that in that season. But other players stepped up, and both of those teams had had great years. So I think it's a prime opportunity, and I think this tournament's a good chance to adjust your strategy, who you 
who you shine the light on. I think the interesting sentiment as we look at this is there's a high potential to turn this into a unique experience that actually could really grow the league's ability in the future, especially considering that they're zeroing in on expansion. Louisville on the horizon. I'm entirely blanking on the name. There's, 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 there's been talk of Sacramento. Um, there's been talk about Atlanta. I mean, I really don't know the status of some of the expansion clubs in light of the pandemic and mm-hmm. maybe the financial repercussions of that. But yeah. I mean, that's the direction they're moving, obviously. That's right. Uh, Louisville FC was slotted to be known as Proof Louisville FC. One thing that kind of fell in the cracks, I guess in late April, it was announced that that they might be reconsidering the name. They might be rolling back on that. I'm all um, in favor of that. I'm sorry. <laughs> not a fan of Proof Louisville FC? Uh, I'm sorry. I not. I'll see what else they got. <laughs> Yeah, I I got it. I'm excited um, about a team in Louisville, but I don't know. Yeah, I I get that. It's not. It's interesting because I think it was in December when Louisville City FC had like a logo rebrand that got completely blown up. Have you heard about that? They came out with a new crest that fans hated so uh-huh. much so that like I think it was like a, less than a week after the fact, the team put out a statement like, "Guys, we screwed up on this. We're gonna oh, try wow. it again." And I'm sitting here thinking, like, they can do that, but the L.A. Rams are like, no, nah, we're still going to go out with gradients all over our uniforms <laughs> and, and look terrible. So it's funny to me. That's, you know, in the WNBA, some special episodes we've done, Logan and I have done a couple uniform, just uni talk episodes about different sports uniforms. I think and, we definitely uh, need to devote some time to some of the new kits. Yeah, I think when we do team intros, we'll definitely talk kits, but we might even need to just do, like, a ranking because – Obviously, the thorns came in hot. Let's let's um, just say I, I I sent I sent my stimulus checks straight to the thorns <laughs> for, for that um, black black rose kit. Oh, amazing! Yeah, it really is a solid look. Orlando Pride had a new reveal, or Orlando yeah. City had a new reveal, but I believe the Pride, if they don't have a new one, have one looming. Chicago Sky had. Uh, red stars red 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 stars the chicago sky of the wnba team guys i'm very sorry it's very late it's my son's birthday party today i'm exhausted Um, i I really the the houston the houston dash had a houston oilers themed specialty (laughs) which i thought was interesting to honor a team that left your city 25 years ago but who am i to judge yeah the kit discussion is is, is exciting in, in its own right and i'm excited to see what else we came out with but it's going to be really hard to beat that Portland look. It's just... There's, there's in Chicago's. There's in Chicago's are, are my two favorites. I had friends of mine who don't even watch the NWSL. They're not necessarily fans who reached out to me about Portland's new kids. These are fantastic. Whatever whatever you got going on there, they're doing it right. Because that, that looks great. And I thought that <laughs> was interesting. You know me. I'm a big fan of Orlando's general look. I'm interested to see where they take it. Oh, here. they're always one of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah, and like I said, maybe because it's a slight inverse of Man City, which is my Super League and Premier League team of choice, but whatever. So obviously we have a lot to be excited about. We have some great matches that kick this off right after shoot. June 27th is the kickoff. The Red Stars facing off against the Atlanta Pride. Then the NC Courage and Portland Thorns FC, which is obviously going to be a juggernaut matchup. If we do see Becky Sauerbrunn especially in in, uh, Thorns get up, we then jump into the Spirit and Royals FC kicking off on June 30th. OL Rain and Sky Blue 
uh, will will take up that same time. Thorns in the Pride, Courage in the Dash on July 1st. And then we'll, I guess we have a lot of these we can talk about, but we'll round up on Independence Day, July 4th, the Chicago Red Stars and Royals FC, Washington Spirit in the Oil Rain. So that'll be kind of the first week to kick off. And then obviously preliminary round runs through July 13th. And then that's when the knockout round will be sorted. Will and I want to say July 26th is when the final night's scheduled. So let's kick off. These will be anywhere from Rio Tinto Stadium in Sandy. Uh, there's also the Real Monarch Arena in Harriman, Utah. Uh, there's, so there'll be some alternate locations as well. So a lot of fun places to, to check out as far as that's considered. Obviously, uh, we won't be seeing fans, which is, you know, a general bummer for someone who lives fairly close to both of those arenas. But what are you going to do? You know, one thing about uh, the uh, the pandemic that sucked too was it happened just weeks short of not even it was like a week. I want to say I, like this. It, it was the same training. week of uh, the W the the WNT team was going to play in Sandy. I think that's Saturday. They were they were playing on the Saturday. The Tuesday before was the Rudy Gobert. And they NBA had just they had just played then, like, everything started getting shut off, shut off. They had just played the She Believes Cup, the national team, and I remember that cup. I just remember feeling like, oh wow, this might be the last for a while, and it was. Yeah. Um, I, it was I I think the NWSL had started their preseason training. Yeah. Um, maybe we're a few days in when when lockdowns really started to. Take I remember effect. on the WMDA show we had just got done doing uh, conference tournament predictions leading into March Madness. And when a lot of the discussion happened, I remember texting those guys and saying, guys, starting to wonder if we're even going to see an NCAA tournament this year. And everyone gave the same response. They wouldn't do that. It's all of that sponsorship money and, you know, everything that goes into that. There's just no way to cancel it. And I'm like, guys, like Coachella just got canceled. Like a lot of big (laughs) stuff is getting shut. Like nothing is safe. um... And then that happened. And yeah. then, I mean, within hours after the NBA cancellation, suddenly there was no March Madness. Yeah, I was like, going to say, for a meta discussion, you and I were on the phone planning what we are going to do with this podcast. And then yeah. we got off the phone, and maybe an hour later is when the NBA got canceled. And then That's right. I, kind, we kind talked of that same night. Yeah. That night is one of those, like, I need to write it in my journal. It was one of the most surreal experiences because it was, it was I mean, within the hour. And people feel like Tom Hanks announced that him, you know, that, that his wife were infected, like, within that hour. And it was video of the Rudy Gobert interview, and then suddenly he's sick, and then something's going to the doctor, and then he tested positive, and everyone was like, what? And then I think it was eight minutes later or something to that effect, the season was canceled. And in my head, I'm going, I don't think there's going to be sports. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we're going to see anything. And the only thing that for a while was a lifeblood was like, maybe we'll still have the Olympics. And then when that got canceled, it was just plan on nothing happening. Yeah. <laughs> make no plans. If you, if you booked a cruise, cancel such cruise. Uh, I remember we had that discussion. We were getting ready to set up preseason and we're getting all excited. And then kaboom. Yeah. This has just been really it. What do you even say at this point? <laughs> I mean, stay safe, uh, yeah. stay distant, wear a mask, still get out and support your protests, donate where you can. There's just a lot of things you you as a societal member need to be doing right now. And that's that's where we're at right now. I don't know. 
this is this is such a good mood to end on this is a real nice this is this is about how push. the year is gone yes <laughs> can't end anything would just be like well i guess it'll be interesting we'll see how it goes <laughs> who knows anything special as we clear this up you're just most excited to to see it coming out of this tournament i Play mean storylines anything live soccer i mean i i've been watching a lot of classic matches rebroadcasts and things that you know they they've been really exciting and nostalgic and fun to watch um but the stakes just aren't there you know but i gotta say going back and seeing mia ham actually play <laughs> so many years later it's like oh wow yeah i get why that was magical <laughs> man we talked about this before record but obviously we have a few weeks if you're looking for some more soccer primer uh, the nine for nine series that ESPN did, which was an offshoot of the thirty for thirty series, specific nine for Title Nine. It was a uh, they did a handful of of some great women's sports documentaries. The ninety niners, uh, which chronicles the ninety nine World Cup team, is a must watch. Great one, absolutely really great chronicle. Uh, big up to Judy Fowdy for rocking the classic camcorder and getting some really awesome behind the scenes footage of the team. It's just really cool stuff. I think there's a there's a lot to be excited about there. That said, like we said, uh, games here are going to be kicking off on June 27th. Uh, we will have three preview episodes coming up. We'll get a chance to chronicle each team. If we have any other interstitial topics that come up in the meantime, we definitely will bring those up. If there's anything that you'd love to hear from us over the next month and change as we, we roll right into the tournament thereafter, obviously follow us over at NWSL Nation Pod. Find us wherever your podcast can be found, uh, especially if you're on Apple Podcasts, but anywhere else that offers this. If you have a rating system, we'd love to see a five-star rating. That really helped us get out to the sports site, guys. Uh, shoot us any uh, comments or ideas you have, any response into what we can do to make this a positive experience for you. We absolutely want to hear it. We're definitely you know, open to anything we can to really make this a, a great endeavor for you and potentially be on the lookout for some unique content. We, uh, you know, we've been talking about some other uh, non like user analysis related content that we can do to really make uh, that process supportive. Also, if you're looking to support us in, in more than just the listener fashion, uh, our sister and uh, flagship program, WNBA Nation, uh, also has a Patreon. Feel free to head over to their Patreon page. Efforts there all go toward direct efforts that we can make to support the WNBA Nation program as well as the NWSL Nation program. So ways that we can really create a better and more serviceable product for you guys to get the most out of this that you can. Some great programs we just launched there, some really good kickbacks and gifts that can come your way based on your donation levels. A little bit definitely goes a long way. We also have our store envy page. You can check out some great merch as well. Those efforts are actually specifically, we use the pro, the proceeds from the store envy merch page directly to go toward getting new fans to, to event venues. So whether that's WNBA games, NWSL games, college events, things like that. Anything we do and get uh, new fans to to enjoy the exchange, we're here to do it. And I do, Mike. Anything um, I miss? That very thorough. I'm impressed. Fantastic. Well, outside of that, thank you so much for taking time to listen to us. We're so excited to to be back on the air and to be talking more soccer. Again, follow us on on the socials and anywhere else you can find us. Let us know how your experience is going and what we can do to make it serviceable for you. And we will continue to ride into these reviews and then actually get to watch some real life soccer for the first time in what has been too long. But until all of that, thanks so much for listening to NWSL Nation on behalf of WNBA Nation. Until next time, I'm Steve Schwartzman. I'm Mike McPhee. And we'll catch you again soon.